be finding Revelation chapter 3. This message is entitled, An Ounce of Prevention. You know what the rest of it is? Ounce of Prevention is worth a pound of cure. Who said it originally? Old Benjamin Franklin, all right? Old Ben. That's where I got the idea for the title of this message. Now, I want to tell you that I am, and you may not know this, but I am a lifelong baseball fan. When I was growing up, I always felt that I was too little to play football, too short to play basketball. And so the only thing left back then, we, we, you know, soccer was something they played over in Europe and other places and things like that. So the only thing left was baseball or golf. And at that time, I didn't even have golf clubs. So, you know, but I got too old to play little league and all those. So I became an adult and I played slow pitch softball. I loved it that much. Just kept playing and playing. And today I enjoy watching it, whether going to a game live or watching it on TV, and I have some favorite teams. I'm not going to name them because I know there's some folks here that have other favorite teams, <laughs> and we're not going to get into that debate. And you ask, why are you telling me all of this? Well, it's just this. I think something that's already happened this season sort of figures in some way to this message, at least in my mind it does. Because one of my favorite teams, and this may identify to some baseball fans, started out the first six games of the season, they won every game. And then they lost nine out of ten. You know, they went from first to worst, okay? Now, I know that there are many reasons that happens, you know, sometimes injuries, and I think some of their folks had COVID and had to sit out because of that. But I'm also a human being. And I tell people I feel like I'm an expert on humans because I am one. And I know how human beings do. And I realize that as human beings, sometimes... Things get to going well for us and we sort of get the big head, right? We sort of get to thinking, well, I, I can't lose. And uh, a little bit of pride and a little bit of complacency gets in the way. But about the time you think you can't lose, guess what happens? <laughs> you lose, okay? The Lord and life have a way of showing you that you're not as powerful and as great as you think you are. So you say, well, why, again, Talking about sports, why are you starting a message out this way? And I'll say again, it's because of some things that have happened. It's human nature that when we have unbridled success in something, we begin to take that success for granted. We might forget about the hard work and the commitment it took to bring that success. We might tend to relax and get lax and begin to slack off. And when that happens, we become satisfied with where we are. We become satisfied with what we're doing and what we have. And we forget that there's still a lot more to do. See, we can't quit serving the Lord. We can't quit being faithful. We can't quit witnessing. We can't quit worshiping. We can't quit working. We can't quit serving until the Lord takes us up, folks. And that's the only time we can do it. As I said, this message is called an ounce of prevention. This is a preventive message. I want you to know that. I believe in preventive maintenance for others. I don't necessarily do it for myself. You know, the car, when it quits, I'll take it to the mechanic. You know, I'll go to the doctor when I feel sick and those sorts of things. But for everybody else, I, I want my wife to practice preventive maintenance on, on herself and so forth. But this is a preventive maintenance type of message. We're going to look at something that Jesus said to a couple of churches here in this book of Revelation and see how he warns them and see how he tells them what to do to correct a situation that is ongoing in these churches. Now that I'm at this point, I'll say this. 
Folks, God has greatly blessed this church over the past few years, and especially since we moved to this location. We've more than doubled in number. In the eight years that I have been here, we've more than, and don't, do not, do not, do not give your pastor the credit for this, okay? God adds to the church daily such as should be saved, the scripture said. But we've more than doubled in number. God's provided this beautiful building for us to worship in. Our finances are in great shape. Don't quit giving, okay? Our finances are in great shape. And folks, the fellowship is wonderful. I'm glad we sang that song, Sweet, Sweet Spirit. The fellowship here is wonderful, but we dare not take the credit for it. It is God who blesses, and it is God that gives the increase. You remember in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, when Paul was talking, you know, that church was divided over preachers. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I'm of Apollos. And the real spiritual folks were saying, I'm of Christ, you know. And there was a division in the church. And do you remember what Paul said in that third chapter of 1 Corinthians, the sixth verse? He said, I have planted, Apollos has watered, but God gave the increase. Amen. See, and who are the planters and who are the waterers? They're just laborers. They're just workers doing what they are supposed to do. I am thankful for God's blessings upon this church. And I'm thankful for God's blessings upon this preacher. But I do not want them to be a cause or be a reason for us to get satisfied. For us to slack off. For us to back off. For us to say, hey, we've made it. And so we failed to serve him. The two churches that we're going to examine had apparently had great success at some time in their history. And because of those successes, there came a heart attitude that threatened their very futures. We're going to look at them. You know probably who they are. But this heart attitude that threatens your future doesn't happen all at once. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Listen to what it says. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And the idea, the picture there is trying to hold water in your hands. And the water just seeps out of your hand because you can't, you know, you can't hold your hand, water in your hand and not have it seep out. And so this attitude of we've made it, this attitude of we don't need to do anything else and we're as good as we can be, comes very slowly. But eventually it comes in and it causes people not to be faithful to God as they should be. First of all, let's look at Revelation chapter 3, the first two verses. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. And then in the 15th verse of this third chapter, we're familiar with this church, the church at Laodicea, beginning in verse 15. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So someone may ask, so with all the good things going on, with all of the blessings, why do you want to talk about these two churches in the book of Revelation? 
And it's quite simple. I want God's word to warn us. I don't want to warn us. I want God's word to warn us not to get satisfied with where we are. Amen. You know, I jokingly said something about the, the good morning response this morning. And it was a good response. But I said, I'm, I'm working for perfection here. Wouldn't give you a high rating on that one. Well, it was, it was really good, but I don't ever want us to get complacent and get us to that point where we think we can't get any better. Now, you know what complacent and complacency mean. The definition is this, a calm or secure satisfaction with oneself, a state of self-satisfaction. In other words, we look at where we are. We look at what we have. We look at where we've come from, and we get satisfied. And we're just happy in that satisfaction. Somebody said you can get satisfied with the status quo. And then they said the status quo is just Latin for the mess we're in. So let's never get satisfied. I don't want us to get satisfied. It's my prayer as your pastor that instead of relaxing, instead of saying, hey, God's blessed us. And we're going to just take these blessings as a sign that we can just sort of lay back and relax. no that take these blessings from God and cause them to revive us. Our ladies were playing Revive Us Again earlier. I like that song. We might ought to open every service. I'm not suggesting, Brother Rick. We might ought to open every service with that, though. Revive us again. Revive us, Lord. Revive us. And give us a desire to be the church that you want us to be and to grow the way you want us to grow. Lord, revive us to a greater service of you. So we're going to look at these two churches, only two points to this message. And so we're going to start out by looking at the church that dwelt on past reputation. The church that dwelt on past reputation. He says, unto the angel of the church in Sardis. Right. Now, just so you'll know, Sardis was a fleshly church. And in fact, the name Sardis comes from the Greek word Sartes, which talks about the flesh. It was a fleshly church. It was in the city of Sardis, and it had that name. But before we look into what he said about this church, you've got to notice who's speaking to the church. We were talking about the rules of Bible interpretation in Sunday school this morning. Who is speaking to this church, who the letter is sent to, and who the letter is sent through. Now, the Lord is speaking, and it is sent to the angel of the church at Sardis. Now, that word angel simply means messenger. Most Bible commentators agree that this word angel in these letters to the seven churches of Asia is referring to the pastor. Aren't you happy to know you've got an angel for a pastor? Doesn't that make you feel good? But it just means messenger. See, one of the chief responsibilities, I think the chief responsibility of the pastor of one of the Lord's churches is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. The teaching and preaching of the Word of God over in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Remember what the verse there says. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the Word and doctrine. So there's supposed to be a special honor given to those who, who stand for the truth, who labor in the Word of God. Over in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the 7th verse and the 17th verse, it talks about obeying or following those who have the rule over you. And the idea is follow their leadership. Those who have the rule over you are those who lead the way for you. Talking about the pastor, he has the responsibility of preaching the Word, of leading 
God's people, especially in the things of God. Over in the book of Colossians, I've pointed this out before, but I like to remind myself of it and point it out to you every now and again. Colossians, the first chapter. Remember, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul told Timothy to preach the word, and he told him to preach the word in view of the judgment seat of Christ, because he's going to give answer for the way he has handled the word of God and preaching it to God's people. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, is talking about Christ. Verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete, spiritually mature in Christ Jesus. The great responsibility upon the Lord's pastors, on the Lord's preachers, is to so preach and to so teach the word of God that we can present the people we preach to and the people we teach, we can present them as a gift to God in spiritual maturity. Now, folks, that's an awesome responsibility. But that's the job, and I think the primary job, of the pastor of one of the Lord's churches. And I don't want to belabor the point, and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to secure my position, but the Lord gives the message to the messenger who is then to present that message to God's people. And I told you the hardest job I have, beginning on sometimes Sunday night, sometimes Monday morning, is, Lord, what do we need to hear this week? What do, our people, what do your people here need to hear? And so he identifies where the message is coming from and who it's coming through and who it's coming to. It's coming from, listen to what it says, he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what are the seven spirits of God? It just refers to the completeness of the Holy Spirit and His work. That's all it's speaking of there. Matthew Henry says it this way, the Holy Spirit with His various powers, graces, and operations. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? He promised His disciples, especially His apostles, of the sending of the Comforter. He said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. He said, I'm going away, but I'm, going to send, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you a comforter. And then in John 16, 15, see, this is why he has the seven spirits. In John 16 and verse 15, he says this, all things that the Father hath are mine. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verse 4 says the seven spirits are before the throne of God. So the Holy Spirit in His completeness. But notice also it says He has the seven stars. Now what in the world, who in the world are the seven stars? Well you just look back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven stars are the pastors if that word angels, it means messenger. If it's talking about the pastors, he said the seven stars are the pastors of the seven churches. And the Lord says, I hold them in my right hand. You know what that says? It says the pastor better be under control of the Lord Jesus Christ. He better be following him. He better be listening to him. He better be under his authority and his control. But it also points out if you're in the right hand of God, you're in the right hand of the Lord Jesus, you're in his protection too. And so he holds the seven stars. He has the seven spirits. And by the way, verse 1 of chapter 2 says he walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. 
Folks, the Lord walks in the midst of his churches. The Lord walks in the midst of this church. The Lord is here. Remember, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so the Lord walked in the midst of his churches. And then he says to this church, we need to keep this in mind. If we ever want to get to thinking, we're satisfied. If we ever want to get to thinking that we've made it, we need to remember this. He says, I know thy works. <laughs> I know thy works. And he says to this church in Sardis, you have a name to be alive, but you're dead. You have a name to be alive that thou livest and art dead, and I have not found thy works perfect before God. That word name talks about reputation. Here's a church that had a reputation to be a living, vital church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't doubt that at one time they were. You know, I don't think a church starts out dead. <laughs> I, I just don't think there's any dead churches born. I think they begin alive and many of the people there are willing and wanting to grow in the name of the Lord and they're wanting to be what God wants them to be. But somewhere along the way, they get caught up and begin to live in the past. This word liveth. I like what a couple of Greek scholars, I'm not one, said about it. Bullinger said, not to be happy, but to have life in all of its manifestations. Talking about that word livest. Not to exist. He said a thing can exist without living. A church can exist without being alive. It can call itself a church and be just, don't you hate, and I hope we never have one of these, don't you hate dead, dry, dull church services? I never want us to have one of those. I don't want us to just be a dull, dry church. We want to be living for the Lord. Thayer says to have a true life and worthy of the name, active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. That's what, we ought to, that's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to live as a church. But the Lord says, I've not found you complete because you're dead. I've not found you satisfactory because you're dead. Here's what this church did. They had a name to be alive. And so they settled down on their reputation. You know, I think there are churches today that have settled down on their reputation. At one time, they were thriving. At one time, they were active. They were working and living for the Lord. And they grew, and they got to a point where they just sort of said, okay, we're there, and they're satisfied with themselves like this church at Sardis was. Remember what does complacent mean? Self-satisfying. Pray that we never get self-satisfied. I never, I try to never get satisfied with myself. That's a danger, folks. It's a church that lived in the past. That's what Sardis was. It's a church that lived in what I call the glory days of the church. You know that every church has its glory days? Well, what are you talking about glory days, preacher? Well, I remember when the building was full. Every service. We had people walking the aisle every time the invitation was given. We were baptizing folks almost every Sunday. We'd have a baptismal service. And I remember back to those days. And I don't know why it can't be like that again. Well, the Lord hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. God's Word hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Well, let's see. Who does that lead? Huh? <laughs> it sort of leads us, doesn't it? I think they're like those that are spoken of in the book of Ezra and in the book of Haggai when Zerubbabel's temple was finished. You remember when they finished the temple? Ezra chapter 3 verse 12 says, Many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who had seen that first house wept. And there are many that shouted. 
See, some were shouting because, man, we've got a temple now. We've got a place to worship now. But here's why some of the elders and some of the old folks wept. They said, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? How do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? They looked at what God had given them in Zerubbabel's temple and said, what not like Solomon's? That was the glory days. Remember how glorious that temple was? Remember how wonderful it was? And this thing can't compare. And so they wept. God was blessing them. And they wept in the middle of God's blessings. Sometimes, regardless of what God's doing in the present, we long for the past. And that's wrong, folks. Thank God for His blessings. Fortunately for us, I think we're experiencing some quote-unquote glory days right now. God's blessing us. I said Wednesday night, I think it was, or maybe it was last Sunday. I can't remember when I said it. I remember saying it, just don't remember when. Don't put me on the stand and make me say when I said it. But folks, God's done a makeover on this church. As far as the physical makeup goes, we're practically a completely different church than we were just a few years ago. God has changed a lot of things in this church. And right now we're enjoying God's blessings. And right now we're enjoying His additions. And you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be giving God the glory for what is happening here. We ought to be praising Him for what is happening here. Now note this, and I've got this in all capital letters in my notes right here. This is not due to anything the pastor or any church member has done exclamation point. You know what I do? I try to pastor the best I know how, pray for your forgiveness, and ask God to bless you. That's all we can do. And so we're experiencing some glory days, but because I've seen it happen, because I know it can happen, one of these days there may be a tendency to look back and say, y'all remember back then? We're just coming out of COVID and God was still adding to the church and these things happen. And boy, wasn't it wonderful back then. Be careful. Let's not fall into that trap. Don't get caught up in that. The past is what it is. It's the past. Somebody said one time, you know why your rearview mirror is smaller than your windshield? You're not supposed to drive looking at what's behind you. You're supposed to drive looking at what's ahead of you. And we ought to serve God looking at what's ahead, not trying to live in the past. How did the Lord instruct this church at Sardis? What were they supposed to do? He said, be careful and strengthen the things which remain in verse 2. Build up what's there. Thank God for what you have. Work with that. And then he says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. And repent. So he says, you, you need to change church. Don't live in the past. Thank God for what you have. Work with what you have and build forward with what you have. And so I pray that we'll not be like this church that depended on past reputation, but we will be a church that depends on what God is. We need to be the church of right now, don't we? Of what God is doing with us right now and what he's going to do with us in the future. The second church is the church that I say depended upon perishing riches. Perishing riches. Since I've talked about our finances, the church at Laodicea, we know it was a lukewarm church. The Lord said, I know your works are neither cold nor hot. Well, if you're not cold or you're not hot, what are you? You're lukewarm. You're just right. And when we're just right, we don't care to move out of that just right condition. We call it our comfort zone. He said, but because thou art lukewarm, what did he say? He said, I will spew thee. And that word spew, I'm sorry, it's close to lunchtime. Because that word spew means to vomit. 
He says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. He didn't talk about any great doctrinal issues. Here was just a church that had cooled off, had become satisfied. By the way, you know what the word Laodicea means, or the words dealing with this word Laodicea, it means the will of the people. People did what they wanted to do. See, we like to say that the Lord's churches, true New Testament churches, are sovereign churches. Nobody tells us what to do. And I will say again, if our association ever tries to tell us what to do, I'll tell the association what they can do, okay? Because nobody except the Lord Jesus Christ tells this church what to do. And so this church at Laodicea thought they were sovereign, but they were sovereign for the people to do whatever they wanted to do. And that's not right either. We are sovereign under God, but God is sovereign over us, okay? So he, the church was so lukewarm, Jesus said it made him sick at his stomach. I don't ever want to be a church that makes the Lord sick at his stomach. It's a church that looked at what they had materially, and they said because of what we have materially, that's a sign of God's approval, and so we must be all right. Never judge God's approval with what you have or with what you don't have. Now the Lord identifies himself to this church as a true and faithful witness. See, here's the importance of that. A church may want to deny what the Lord says. Or an individual may want to deny what the Lord says. But folks, God's assessment is always right. Christ's assessment is always right. When he gives his assessment of us, and I would wonder sometimes, I'm afraid to ask, but I wonder sometimes what the Lord's assessment of us is today. Whatever it is, we can't argue with him about it. Because his assessment's going to be right. Remember what God said to Samuel when he went to anoint David as king and all of this David's brothers passed by and you know Samuel thought surely this one and God said no and he thought surely this one and God said no and then here came David and he didn't look like much just a little shepherd boy and he wasn't as good looking wasn't as big you know ruddy faced and whatever else you want to describe him and God said that's the one and I'm sure Samuel said Lord you sure don't ever ask God if he's sure, by the way. But God said to Samuel, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. People may drive by and see, you know, we've got all kinds of mix of vehicles and maybe not every space full out there. and They might make an assessment of us. We might look out there and make an assessment of it. We may drive by some church that has a parking lot full of all Cadillacs and Lincolns and cars like that and say, boy, they must be doing all right. Folks, don't ever judge by the outward appearance. God knows what's going on in the inside. Don't look at somebody's outward appearance and say, well, they must be serving God. They must not be serving God. Folks, God looks at the heart. The church at Laodicea, their assessment of themselves and of their condition was based on what they could see. They probably had, if they had a building, the fanciest building in town. They probably had the highest annual budget. They probably had a high class of people. And everybody would say, boy, I want to go there to the church at Laodicea. But look at what the Lord said about them. He didn't have as much good to say about them as they had to say about themselves because his assessment was based not on what you could see, but his assessment was based on what they would not see. 
again, they said we're rich and we're increased with goods and we have need of nothing. And if you note down in verse 22, I always like to point this out. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Here's the Lord on the outside of one of his churches. And that's a sad situation when a church puts the Lord on the outside of the church. They had replaced zeal with indifference. They had emplaced enthusiasm with apathy. They were not up. They were not down. They were not in. They were not out. They were not with it and they weren't without it. You know, they were just, as one preacher said one time, I remember reading Vince Havner talking about going home from a meeting one night and he had gotten on the, the folks pretty hard and the pastor of that church says, you know, we're not all that bad. We're not all that good, but not all that bad. And Vance Havner told him, well, that was the problem at Laodicea too. Well, we're not all that bad. Well, you need to be what the Lord wants us to be. And that's how we should see this. Jesus said to them, they said, we're rich and increased with goods. We don't have, we don't need anything. And what did Jesus say? He said, in his sight, they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They said, we don't need anything. Jesus said, you need everything. I said, God has greatly blessed this church and his makeover of us, as I called it earlier. God has put us in a part of town that is growing. He's put us on a very busy thoroughfare. In fact, what I consider a major thoroughfare right out here where people are passing by. They can see our signs. They can see our parking lots. They can see us gathering and dismissing as we come together to worship God. He's blessed our finances so that we can talk about updating some things that need to be updated. Even talk about and planning to upgrade our capability in this live streaming and do even more than we're doing right now. We extended our outreach, by the way, through the live streaming. You know, I've, I've never really wanted to be a TV preacher, and I guess I'm just a Facebook preacher is all I am now. <laughs> but I don't want to be a TV preacher. But look at the things that God has done. But we should not look at these things and presume, well, we're all right. Amen. We've got it made. No, we're not there yet. That's what Laodicea did. And the Lord condemned them for their attitude. I pray that we'll never, ever, ever get in the condition of that church at Laodicea. But if that should happen, what's God's cure? Well, you look down at verse 18, and here's what he says. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. First of all, he says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. What's he talking about? He's talking about true riches. Not the world's riches, but true riches. I want to read a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. This is what the Lord said. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here's a very key verse in those three verses. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If our treasure is on having the fanciest, finest, most technologically up-to-date building in town, folks, you know where our heart's going to be? Right where our treasure is. If our treasure is having a show place, that's where our heart's going to be. 
But if our treasure is first and foremost in being a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that brings glory and honor to God, that's where our heart will be. If we're intent in laying up treasures in heaven, that's where our heart will be. So the Lord says to this church at Laodicea, you need to buy gold tried in the fire. You need true riches. And then he said in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Now the importance of this is that Laodicea was the Paris of its day. It was a fashion center. They had all kinds of, I guess, garment districts and so forth there in Laodicea. And so they thought they were something. But the Lord said, that's nothing. He said, what you need is the white raiment. Well, what's he talking about being clothed in white raiment? He's talking about being clothed in his righteousness and not in the world's rags, okay? We're never to be holier than thou in dealing with people, but folks, we're to be holy. That means that we are to be separated to God. That doesn't mean we can't talk to lost people. That doesn't mean we can't be around lost people. But that just means we have to conduct our lives understanding who our Lord and Savior is and just have the righteousness of God in our lives and let it be seen. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works, the scripture says, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord. And then he says, and anoint thine eyes with eyes, salve, that thou mayest see. What's he talking about? Have the proper spiritual vision. The proper spiritual vision. You say, what are you talking about? Just see things from God's point of view. Well, where do you get spiritual vision? Where do you get the proper spiritual vision? You get it from the Word of God. Amen. You get it from spending time in the Word of God. You spend, get it from spending time in prayer to God. You get it from spending time here in these services, hearing the Word of God, hearing the Word of God taught in class. That's where you get proper spiritual vision. Listen, if you listen to this world today, <laughs> woo, your vision's going to be messed up. Because the world thinks about one thing. And it's not warming up for a solo when it goes me, 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 me. We need the vision that the Lord gives us in his word. You know the scripture says where there is no vision. And that word vision has the meaning of a word as from the Lord. Okay. Where there is no vision the people perish. And that word perish has the idea of just running around uncontrolled sort of running amok. Where there is no word as from the Lord, the people just go in all different directions and do all sorts of things. No, you get proper spiritual vision from the word of God. Now, that's the two churches that I think we don't need to be like. I don't ever want us to live on past reputation. There's too much to do tomorrow and the next day and the next. But folks, I don't want us to get caught up in what we have and even who we are and quit serving God. As I said at the start of this message, this is preventive maintenance. I believe with all of my heart that God will continue to bless us as a church as long as we continue to stand for Him and for His truth and as long as we realize that all that we have is from God. I'll say again, the Lord adds to the church daily. And we just need to be praying that God will send us more people, that God will put us in contact with more people. And so as we meet people and as we talk to people, we understand that this may be an opportunity that God has given me to reach into somebody's life, share Christ with them, invite them to church, get them involved in this church if he wants to add them to this church. Now I'm going to give you a quick sub-note to this message.
The things that happened to these two churches can happen in individual lives also. Do you realize that a church cannot become fleshly and a church cannot become lukewarm without the members of that church becoming fleshly and without the members of that church becoming lukewarm? We can't be one thing in a corporate body and something else individually. So don't live in the past. You know there are a lot of used-to-be's in the Lord's churches. Actually it's spelled out used-to-be's but I call them used-to-be's. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to be this or that. I used to sing. I used to be faithful. I used to do this and this and this. And there's just a lot of used to be's. If you have ever been closer to the Lord than you are right now, and I'm going to warn you, I'm fixing to use a word that preachers don't like to use today. But if you've ever been closer to the Lord than you are right now, you know what you are? You're backslidden. You're backslidden. You're slidden away from God. You, you know, it's amazing how people, when they first are saved, or they first get into the church, man, they're on fire, they're enthusiastic, they're ready to go. And then, just like water seeping through your hand, they cool off. And all of a sudden, that enthusiasm that was there is no longer there. And that faithfulness that was there is no longer there. Somebody said this, believers and churches are never still. They're either going forward or they're going backward. So I would ask, which are you doing? Don't presume as everything is okay between you and God just because of your material condition or lack of material wealth. As churches and as believers, God wants us to be all that we can be for Him. And what that means is committing ourselves to a faithful service of God for a lifetime. Not say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you for a while and we'll see how it goes. No, that, that's not commitment. Not saying, Lord, I'll be faithful to you until things get rough and then I'm going to go back and depend on what. No. Lord, whatever happens. And I've shared with you just a few years. It's been nine years ago now. I remember making it. I remember exactly where I was. Man. Lord, whatever happens, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to depend upon you. I'm going to serve you regardless of what happens in my life. That's the commitment that we need today.